Welcome to Page It to the Limit, a podcast where we explore what it takes to run software in production successfully. We cover leading practices used in the software industry to improve both system reliability and the lives of the people supporting those systems. I'm your host, Mandy Walls. Find me at LNXCHK on Twitter. Welcome back, folks. This week I have with me a special guest. He's the other DevOps gene. Gene Gottimer is with us this week, and we're going to talk about threat modeling. Gene, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Mandy. Tell us about yourself. Tell us about what you do and, and you know, whatever else you want us to know. So I am a uh, generally a federal contractor doing development and lately DevOps, DevSecOps more and more over the past couple of years, but almost always working for either really big organizations or I'm outside of D.C., so government work is plentiful, let's say. Absolutely. Yeah, a lot, most of the time it's all about bringing DevSecOps or more security or more quality into their environment, right? They already have some plans, they already have some needs, but they're just not getting the results they want or anything like that. So I try to help them out, build pipelines and add tools, add security, add automation, anything to help them move smoother and get to where they want to go quicker. Awesome. So you had given a talk at Demo Days Baltimore that was amusing, but also very <laughs> informative. It was about threat modeling. And the best part of the talk doesn't translate to podcasts because <laughs> your slides were all castles. And then you kind of went through how to think about threat modeling with castles. And like, I thought it was great. It was a hilarious little way to put the things together. And it was very engaging for the rest of us in the audience. So like, let's start there. We'll start with like threat modeling as a, as a practice. Like, why is it something you thought about giving a talk at a DevOps conference about what's your approach to, to threat modeling and, and that kind of stuff? Yeah, well, threat modeling is one of those things that we always say we should be doing. Yeah. And then we never quite do it. Because if you do a formal threat model to, to sit down and get everybody involved and, and really map out all your pieces, it just seems daunting. It's, yeah. it's a lot. But the reality is uh, that it is something we always do. Uh, without thinking about it, I gave the example during the talk of you know, crossing the street. You do all sorts of threat modeling in there, right? It's a natural instinct. And I think that if you remind people that, hey, you can do some lightweight threat modeling, you can do back in the napkin type threat modeling, just let's start talking about the pieces we need to. Let's start talking about the things that could go wrong and how we'll fix it or remediate it or mitigate it. It's really not that big a deal to get the basics down. And one of the things with security in our industry is that the bar is just so low. Most people do so little, at least as developers, right? I mean, yeah. teams teams do do good jobs, companies do good jobs, organizations do good jobs, but individuals or development teams, most of the time, I don't think developers take it seriously because it seems daunting. It seems hard because they don't feel they have the re the background. They yeah. don't have the pieces they need. And once you feel like, hey, I'm not in control, you stop taking responsibility for it. It's someone else's problem. I kick it over to this security group. They'll magically fix everything for us, right? Why do I need to do anything for it? So if we can do something really straightforward, like a little bit of threat modeling, just the basics, just, hey, what could go wrong? And if it goes wrong, what are we going to do about it? Or how are we going to make sure that we don't go out of business because we did that one wrong thing? Then, yeah, we're already jumping ahead of a lot of other people. Mm -hmm. How do you sort of approach it with folks that you're working with? Like you say, it's daunting. And like thinking about the, the potentially infinite number of things that can go wrong. It doesn't mean they will go wrong or even that, that there's a like probability of like T 
T-Rexes appearing in your data center or like anything completely insane. But like I have worked places where you had barriers in front of the, the building so no one could like drive a truck through them. So like there's a limit. Like how do you how do you find that place where you're comfortable talking about that stuff? The way I usually approach it is just with the basics of security, start getting some of the pieces that the organization already requires us to do and start getting the teams to start paying attention to that. And then once we get a few of those pieces underway, then we start saying, okay, hey, let's talk about this next piece coming up. How could we be a little bit more proactive? So dev teams already run static analysis tools, right? They get back feedback. But when they get that feedback, that same type of feedback from a SaaS tool, a, a static analysis security test tool, they just say, okay, check, I've done it. I've run the tool, right? So you start getting them to pay attention to it and say, hey, th- this is an opportunity for feedback. This is a way for us to get better, for us to catch problems now and not worry about them later. And I think right there that gives people um, a feel like, okay, well, now I am actually involved. Really, it wasn't that that big a deal. I, I was treating it like a checkbox. Now I'm treating it like a feedback loop, like so many other things we do in DevOps. Once you start getting into that habit of applying some security, the I guess the, the mystique of it kind of wears off and you start saying, hey, you know what? At least this part of the security, that's not all that tough, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fairly easy. And I really do think it comes down to there's just so much and there's so many other things we have to deal with and you just get scared by how much there is. But once you start doing it, you realize, hey, I, I can do actually quite a few things, maybe not even a majority of the things, but I can do quite a few things that will get us moving in the right direction. And I think once DevOps practitioners get in that mindset or even just agile practitioners get in that mindset of, hey, I'm moving in the right direction, doing continually getting a little bit better, making things a little bit better each time we go through, that's kind of become natural to us. So I, I think that that helps us get on the path. And once we have the tools and the scans and we're starting to implement some of those mitigations, remediations and fixing problems and vulnerabilities, I think then start talking about, okay, what we really did is we looked at this problem and said it could have a disastrous effect because it's critical, it's high, or whatever the, the rating is. So we fix those first. These are minor. So you know, we'll only fix them if we get around to it. And what do you know? We're doing threat modeling. Imagine that. Oh, my gosh. Just appears. Right. Yep. So over the past five or six years, I guess, we've been talking more about moving more things like shifting left, putting more work earlier in the work stream for software projects. And a lot of the security stuff has kind of been a victim of that. Like, whether folks like it or not, like it needs to be done earlier and earlier. Um, what have you seen in your practice with that sort of uh, stuff? Again, the, the security piece is a tough one to yeah. move forward. And I was a huge practitioner or a huge proponent of DevSecOps is a terrible term because it suggests that there's a version of DevOps without security. I've given up the fight. <laughs> the term is stuck. <laughs> start realizing that, that security needs to be part of it. But I think they still kind of treat it as an outsider. Yeah. And we start getting people to move that stuff left and to start seeing it earlier. But again, they have to take some action on it. Yeah. Some places, it's terrible. You, you get the scans done. It's like, oh, it's just slowing down my builds. I'm not getting any benefit out of it. And you're dragging people, kicking and screaming to try to get them to do anything with those. Other places, I've been really surprised. A group I was in gave their developers a, I think it was just a pilot even of a SaaS scanner that ran right in there, showed the results right in their IDEs. 
the idea was to let's take a look at what we can find. And over the next couple of sprints, we'll, we'll start talking about how we're going to address it. And within a sprint or two, every easy to fix bug had been cleaned up because it showed up in their IDEs yeah. and they were used to, Hey, I want to keep my ID clean. Those red squiggly lines. I want to get rid of them. Oh yeah, of course. You know, so they started fixing them and it turns out that in any situation, most of your problems in the code are always going to be like just a handful of different types of problems, just repeated else, you know, over and over. And so they started fixing stuff. And I don't know what the magic sauce is to get teams to behave like that. You know, it's happened before for me. It's uh, other places it's not. But I, I think the idea is just to keep telling people, hey, some of this stuff is easy. We can clear out. We've got a thousand vulnerabilities according to the scanner, right? That's too much to handle. But we've got this one problem 400 times and we can literally fix it with cut and paste. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We see that stuff in other places too. Like, oh, it's it's always going to be this package. And yeah, there's a lot of scans. It's all the same package across the entire fleet. So like fix this one thing, please. So yeah, definitely. How do you recommend folks kind of get started if they don't really know what they're after? If they're just kind of like, oh, we want to be more secure. But you're just like, what's that mean, man? What do you really want to do? Well, and, and that's kind of the point of, of threat modeling, right? Yeah. Is to figure out what, what is the most important thing for you guys to do right now, for your team to look at or for you individually to look at. But I would say that for most teams, you can just start with, let's just take the tools we're already forced to use and let's start using like a feedback loop, not, not treating it as this esoteric security tool that we don't have to pay attention to because the security team is going to look at the PDF we attach to our paperwork to deploy. You know, that's that's not the right way, right? We need to actually get it as feedback loop and just start looking at what the suggestions are that it makes, right? Most of the tools now are getting really good about, here's what I found, here's the way to fix it. Even to make things easier, most of the problems people find and most of the problems that Companies that get hacked have found that they the mistake they made was not updating software. Yes. Keep your stuff current and the tools that you're using, make sure they do some sort of uh, SCA, software composition analysis, to say you're using older versions of this software. There's vulnerabilities, known vulnerabilities in it. Just upgrade. Place I'm at now has a tool that, that actually goes through our repos, looks at our package builds and says, hey, these are the things that can be updated do you want me to just go ahead and do them, right? There's all sorts of ways to get that automated or to get it close to automated to help you to say, hey, just keep current and just keep all your libraries, all your tools, just keep updating. Make that a natural part of your process. It's not a, I need to be reminded once every couple of sprints to do it. Just, hey, I'm touching this code. What do I have to update on it? Or what can be updated on it? Let me get to the latest and greatest. Uh, it has a bunch of benefits. Uh, aside from the security where you're fixing bugs and known vulnerabilities, it also, eventually, you know just about every piece of software you use, every yes. library, every component is going to force you at some point to update. There's a huge problem with it. It won't work with the new framework you're picking. It won't. Uh, it has a known vulnerability, whatever the case is. If you just get in the habit of, hey, I'm going to upgrade from version 1.01 to version 1.02 to version 1.03, every time those things come out, yeah, I've updated you know, 20 times over the last six months. But that time when they say, okay, now you have to upgrade to 1.1. And by the way, it's a much bigger update than it was from, yeah. you know, from where you started. Or I have to go to version two and it's a huge jump, except that if you've been doing all the updates along the way, it's not near as big an update as it may sound. And 
those things, you, you just pay it incrementally, right? And so yeah. many of the things we talk about trying to do is do it incrementally. Yeah, maybe over the course of a year, it's actually a little bit more time spent, but you stayed up to date the whole time. You never had the panic of, hey, someone says, I need to get these updated and they need to be updated this week. Drop everything. We're scrapping this sprint. All we're going to do is fix this one security hole that security just reported to us, right? So you get proactive. It makes it a lot easier, a lot less stressful. Definitely. We talk a lot about that kind of hygiene, especially around automation and those kinds of tools, just to make sure that stuff is up to date all the time. Like even with our projects at, at PagerDuty, like we have a lot of upstream dependencies that we're consuming all kinds of libraries and runtimes and other things to build our own stuff. And yeah, keeping all that stuff up to date is it's a job on its own, but it has to be done. Because like you say, you don't want to get to a point where it's a Thursday afternoon and there's a zero day or some crazy business comes out and you're like, oh crap, it's in all of these packages. And now we have to scramble because we haven't been updating stuff. Yeah, that's exactly it. You become proactive and you get to do it on your terms, on your schedule. You know, if you put it off for a day or two, nobody even notices. Put it off for a month or two, you notice it absolutely the wrong time. <laughs> absolutely. I tell people it's like brushing your teeth, right? Like you could kind of get away with not brushing your teeth like a day or two. And like maybe only the people that live with you are going to kind of notice. <laughs> but like if you haven't brushed your teeth in like a week and it's like everybody who sees you or is anywhere near you is going to be like, I haven't brushed your teeth in a while. <laughs> like everybody's going to notice. Yes. It really starts to become part of what you got going on there. So yes, that's, that's definitely a good way of thinking of it, putting it in perspective. <laughs> So some of the other tools that have come out in the past couple of years, there's sort of methodologies and things like that. Things like, like S-bombs, right? That are sort of meant to deal with those things. Do you see those as just one more box to check or are they sort of something that's actually useful for teams to be working on? I think if you start building a practice that's actually paying attention to this stuff, it's just more information for you and yeah. you get the right tools to help you manage that. You know, most of the big security tools will, will handle that automatically for you. But if you don't have a big budget, if you're not spending the money on a, a huge package to do that type of security management and vulnerability management for you, you know, OWASP's got some stuff out there that will take just, you build an S-bomb, you feed it into uh, an open source tool and it just keeps track. And then you start feeding that from every one of your software builds and every one of your deploys and all that, all those S-bombs, they, they just go into what seems like this pit. You're just sending them in. But then one day that pit speaks up and says, hey, I notice you have this version of Log4j and there's a brand new vulnerability out for it. And these are the packages that are using it. And all of a sudden doing that, you know, seemingly pointless exercise of throwing this stuff in, yeah. all of a sudden pays off in a big way. I mean, Equifax, that was one of the big failures was not only didn't they upgrade struts yeah, and got hacked through a vulnerability in an old version of struts that they had probably as a transitive dependency, probably was in once something they were actively using. It was something else was requiring it. Even once they realized that they didn't have any idea what systems depended on it, you know, it was all manually search through source code, see if you can figure out who uses it. I think if you start doing something like SBOM and actually come up with a practice, it, like I said, it doesn't take a lot, you know, generate the SBOM, feed it into the server and yeah, maybe it seems like pointless right up until the time when it's not. Right. It feels like, so are your backups, right? Like there's just <laughs> yes. any kind of prevention measure. Exactly. It definitely feels like that. It's definitely a maintenance type task that will pay off at some point um, or save you from getting into big trouble. And yeah. 
fact of the matter is now, if you do any work with the federal government, you're supposed to be generating S-bombs. Yeah. Um, Executive Order 14028 says you got to have S-bombs and you should ask for S-bombs for anything else you get. I don't think we're at the point where it becomes a natural thing that companies, they're dealing with each other. Just you show me your S-bomb, I'll show you mine. But hopefully we can get to that point where there's just it's just a normal part of the delivery. You're delivering the software. Here's the S-bombs. Yeah. They ingest into their black hole of S-bomb database. And, but then they get told, hey, what do you know? They have a vulnerability. Contact them and see if there's an update for it. Yeah. Definitely. You just don't know. And, and like some languages are greedier than others about the things that they pull in. And you really just aren't even sure what's going to chain into your software unless you're really, really paying attention. I've been a Java developer for a long time and I've worked with Maven. And I used to, first time you build something with Maven on, on a computer, you know, it has to download the internet. Yep. Turns out that there are a lot of other languages out there that are even worse. Yes. Yeah. Some of them won't download them all at once. They're just like, <laughs> decide to pull something down somewhere randomly in the future because it's all the runtime and you're like knock it off where what are you even looking at that for why do you need that particular weird thing so yeah a lot of a lot of strange stuff out there but i mean so much of our software is not stuff we write now I no think absolutely 70 percent is some from a framework right 70 percent of our code something like that it's probably even north of that now and we had that problem a couple years ago where the uh the left pad oh the left pad oh left pad Yes. Right, one line of JavaScript code, trivial for anybody to write on their own, but tens of thousands of yes. developers decided not to even bother. They just included it, and so much chaos. He oh decided gosh. to pull it off, and all of a sudden, half the internet's down. <laughs> That's right. Oh, left pad was amazing. Oh my gosh, absolutely crazy. And that's one of those weird things that, like, for folks who don't work in the space, you can, there's no way to explain that. There's no real world equivalent of like, well, some like just randomly pulled up this road that everybody was using, like it just disappeared. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it doesn't happen other places. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy business. Uh, so we have a couple of recurring questions we like to ask folks on the show. Uh, our first one is, what's a, a myth or a misconception that you'd like to debunk that folks kind of get wrong about maybe start modeling, maybe security in general that you come across? Say for security in general, that it's not my problem. No, there's a good one. The security team will take care of it, right? At best, all they're going to do is yell at you and tell you you did it wrong. And then you're still on your own to fix it. But fact of the matter is, security is not that hard to do the very basics. Yes, pen testing, very tough. Need to know how to do it. Locking down, building secure enterprises, setting up secure networks. All of those are big tasks. But for a developer... Getting started with security, again, just pay attention to the feedback. You're already running a bunch of tools. They'll tell you some, right? If you're not yeah. getting enough usable feedback, change the tool, get more tools, You know, ask the internet. Somebody will tell you, here, here are some tools that can give you good feedback. And I mean, the commercial security tools that are going after developers and DevOps teams, they're focusing on making the feedback more usable to developers. So that's the, they know that that's the holdup, yes. right? Yes. But I, I think most people think, again, it's too daunting. There's too much. It's not my problem. I'm not the one responsible for it because I'm not part of the security team. Reality is you are responsible for it because it's your code. It's not that hard to get started. Just go ahead and, and start working on it at, like any other type of feedback. Ignore the fact that yeah, you get told if you, you don't indent the right way or, or you're not you know, naming your variables using the right yes. format or whatever. 
security shouldn't be treated as something separate. You get a lot of that SAS feedback, a lot of that static analysis feedback says, hey, you know, this could be a, a SQL injection. Fix it. You should update these packages. Fix them. Do them proactively. Just make it part. It, it's not as daunting as people think. I think that's the biggest myth. Absolutely. Very cool. And then what's something that you wish you would have known sooner? Is there something you feel like you had to learn the hard way? It, maybe it just wasn't apparent when you first got started on stuff or something that's emerged in the meantime that folks need to know? Yeah. Hackers don't care that it's just your dev system in the cloud. <laughs> no, they don't. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, my goodness. They're just looking for systems. They don't care if it's your prod. They don't care if you're... You're, you're storing your, your grandma's recipes or your you know, country's nuclear secrets or whatever, right? To them, it's just a system. They're probably going to use it for Bitcoin mining. Exactly. Or, I don't care or, about or your code. emailing or something oh, right? else. But they also don't care whether you said, hey, I'm not going to secure this because it's just dev. There's right? no such thing as just dev in the cloud. It's in the cloud, secure it. And doing those types of things, the types of things you would do in prod to lock down your dev system not only is it great practice now that we have infrastructure as code, it, you, you get to practice it and, and develop it and fine tune it there. But you also find a lot of problems that, hey, this worked in dev, but now it doesn't work in prod. Oh, that's right, because we locked down prod, so we don't allow those types of messages to go through, or we, we have it set up differently, or there's an extra jump through a firewall, or whatever the case is. I wish I'd paid more attention to the, you know, make dev as much like prod as you can. I think I've learned that now, but I, I learned it the hard way. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good one to learn. And I, I, when I talk to people, they're really reluctant. Like, I totally understand it. Like, especially if you've got a big complex environment, it's super expensive. You need to put a lot of resources on it. But, like, it's going to bite you in the butt every time you release something. It's like, oh, now we have to punch a hole. You didn't tell me I needed. And that's a five-day SLA. So, like, mm -hmm. unless you're going to escalate this to your vice president and they're going to go talk to the networking vice president, like, this is not going anywhere. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. The flip side is those things, they get escalated. The pushing it out is always going to win. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So you're going to get forced to do this. It doesn't matter if it's Friday night when they find this and now you're up all weekend trying to fix it. You would have been better off doing it ahead of time. Again proactive on your schedule, not on someone else's schedule. Yeah. But I think everyone has to learn some of those lessons the hard way. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of think so. Absolutely. So what, what's your favorite part of all this stuff? What's the favorite part of your job? I really like getting everything put together with automation. You go from a, a bunch of manual ish handoffs, you know, developer develops here and then runs over to someone's desk to say hey, the pull request is in, go ahead and start looking at it and then this guy's going to merge it and then we're going to send it to this yeah. this team and they're going to do the build for us and all that take it from a system like that to someone sits at their desk they commit it and everything just starts flowing right the tests happen everything's clean even if it doesn't eventually get pushed out in production right then it gets to stop there and someone says hey this is waiting for you now it's all set as soon as the business says i want to i want to push we push and it's a done deal and it becomes a complete non-issue. I think the most excited I ever was for a, for a DevOps deployment, um, we weren't even really doing DevOps. It was just CD. We had stuff working, pushing it out. We were going from 
you know, every six months, one deploy that took us months to get through. And now we were doing every two weeks and uh, we had the client sitting with us one Monday afternoon. He, we, he'd been around all day. We we're talking after lunch and he said, Hey, just occurred to me. We had a deployment on uh on Friday. How'd that go? I didn't hear anything about it. And we said, you didn't hear anything about it. It was perfect, right? There you go. That's what you want. <laughs> it was a non-issue. Everything was clean. And that was all the process we'd put in place. It wasn't even all automated at the time for us, but everything just went so smoothly at that point that it wasn't even a noticeable thing anymore. Yeah. And that to me was, hey, we got past a hurdle there that, that seemed impossible to get to in the past. These deploys would go so smoothly that nobody would even notice they happened. Yeah. You feel like you've made it at that yes. point, right? Yes. 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 <laughs> awesome. Excellent. As a, a, a parting thought for folks, is there any advice you have for folks who want to get more involved in security, security engineering, and those kinds of things where they can start to learn about more stuff or pick up a few tips? Yeah, well, the easiest way is just start doing it. Mm-hmm. For a long time, I didn't do anything with security because it wasn't my job and somebody else's job, and I didn't want to step on toes. There's almost nothing in our development processes now that people don't want taken off their plate. Yeah, we'll have right. plenty. <laughs> so if someone, if someone starts doing a little bit of your job for you, take it as a win. Not a, <laughs> They're not stepping on your toes. They're, they're taking stuff off your plate just start looking into it, right? So pick some small piece, right? If you have a tool, an SCA tool that's telling you to do the updates, start doing them and then go to security and say, hey, look, we've started doing this proactively. Is this helping? Is there anything, you know, what's the next step? Or we have this SaaS tool. It's doing our static analysis and giving us some security feedback. As a team, we're picking these top two findings and we're just going to fix them throughout our code each sprint. Friday afternoon after we've done the uh, the sprint review and you're looking for other stuff to clean up, that's yeah. the technical debt we're going to focus on. And just start doing little bits, the easy parts, the parts that you're not worried about, the parts that you, you understand already. Um, and then you'll start finding that, hey, you're getting better and better at it. And you know, you're learning more and more and just always be learning, you know, just always be reading if it's a tool that sounds cool, sounds like it would help you, do some reading on it. At some point, there'll be a need for it. There'll be yeah. a reason to start putting it in. Or someone will say, hey, I wish we had this problem solved. And you can say, you know, there's this open source tool or there's this commercial tool that does just that. That's why they have it. Let's, yeah. let's do it. And all of a sudden, you're the security expert. There you go. You actually started doing it. That's right. And then you can wear your rollerblades to work and put your leather and your, your neon colors on and you're ready to go. That's, that's right. That's how that works, right? Jane, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been great. This has been super fun. Where can folks find you if they'd like to hear more from you? On Twitter, I'm Other DevOps Gene. Um, that's probably best bet. I'm Other DevOps Gene on YouTube, on uh, GitHub. That's the easiest way to find me. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been great. And for everyone out there, We'll wish you an uneventful day. Thanks very much. That does it for another installment of Pager to the Limit. We'd like to thank our sponsor, PagerDuty, for making this podcast possible. Remember to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you've heard. You can find our show notes at pagertothelimit.com and you can reach us on Twitter at Page It to the Limit using the number two. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, uneventful days are beautiful days. <laughs>